0: We start with BC's new climate change plan rolled out yesterday by Premier John Horgan. This is the Clean BC plan, the plan to dramatically reduce carbon emissions in British Columbia, the target of 40% reduction from 2007 levels by the year 2030. And we're already behind. We did not meet the greenhouse gas reduction targets last year uh, but the government saying they've got a new plan here to get this done includes rising carbon taxes and accelerated targets for zero emission vehicles in british columbia let's discuss now with my guest what a great panel we've got for you peter mccartney is a climate campaigner with the wilderness committee peter Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on once again. Also on the line is Kathleen Connolly. Kathleen is the Chief Executive Officer at the Dawson Creek Chamber of Commerce. Kathleen, thank you for coming on. Good morning, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you. Okay, it's great to have you both here. Peter, let me go to you first. There was a, You were criticizing this plan yesterday. You don't think it goes far enough, especially when it comes to oil and gas development, especially LNG, natural gas, fracking, LNG exports. Right, which is big business in, in Kathleen's town. So I'm looking forward to getting her take on it in Dawson Creek. But what do you think about the plan yesterday?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been saying for a decade now that uh, B.C. cannot build these new liquefied natural gas facilities and uh, you know massively expand the uh, extraction of gas through fracking and meet its climate targets. And that's still the case. It's so frustrating that in 2021, the government came out with a plan that isn't really a plan at all when it comes to oil and gas. It just says, oh, well, we'll set a policy framework to deal with this. And, you know, anyone who's experiencing the impacts of climate change, these droughts, these heat waves and wildfires, um, has a right to be frustrated that uh, the government still isn't able to show us their masks to pretend that LNG fits within this climate so plan, you, it's because they can't do it.
0: So, you don't agree with Andrew Weaver, the former leader of the Green Party? This guy won a Nobel Prize on the UN climate change panel. The guy's an expert in climate change, and he was out there endorsing this plan yesterday. What, he's got it wrong, or?
1: I think, what? you know, I think there's a lot of people in the climate community who are just happy to see uh, governments committing to. Uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions but minister Heyman said it himself if you set a target without a plan and policies to back it up you miss that target and uh, weaver would surely know that bc has missed every target it's ever set for itself yeah and so if we're gonna uh say that we're gonna reduce emissions from oil and gas by 33 to 38 percent at a time when we're still building these new lng facilities that will increase emissions uh, I think it's pretty pretty fair to point out that those two things okay. don't uh, don't jive. Oh.
0: Okay, Kathleen Conley is the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce in Dawson Creek. And Kathleen, I know there are a lot of people working in the natural gas business in your town, right?
2: Indeed, there are.
0: Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think of the, the criticism you just heard there?
2: So, you know, I think the first thing that we need to have is a real conversation about the usage of fossil fuels in the province of British Columbia. 25% of the usage comes from electricity, the rest is fossil fuels, so that we know that everybody in their day to day life uses and relies on fossil fuels. So, we all have a responsibility in this conversation to, number one, admit that it is a part of our necessary lifestyle, the way that we live today. I think the second part of it is if we look at LNG Canada, we look at producer groups in the Northeast, they've been the punching bag for ENGOs for decades because they've not met emissions and targets and are prime emitters. But if we look at the work that they've done uh, and how advanced those technologies have become in the fields and the reductions of those uh, GHGs and uh, methanes, The argument falls a bit flat. You know, I think that if we look at other industries like tourism, tech center, uh, the tech uh, sector, we look at um, the film industry, those are major users of fossil fuels. So it is more than just one industry that needs to be more efficient and effective and really work towards getting those
0: targets. What would happen, Kathleen, what would happen to your community of Dawson Creek if, You know, some environmental groups had their way and fracking was made illegal and you shut down the LNG Canada mega project and you stopped construction of the coastal gas link natural gas pipeline. Like what would be the impact on the ground there where you live?
2: Oh, I think that the impact would, of course, be devastating in the Northeast. But I'll tell you, it would trickle right down into downtown Vancouver uh, when we're not able to provide, uh, you know, heating and cooling systems. When we're not able to mute, move people around. The and jobs, the economy, Uh, the north and the south. Though many people think we're not connected, we are inherently connected by natural resources. Uh, There is successful growth and development in the rest of the province because of the contribution that we make in the northeast. It is critical to the lifestyle that we choose to live.
0: Okay, Peter, what do you say to that? You know, I think uh,
1: the point that tourism and uh, tech and all these other sectors have to reduce emissions is a good one. They, they do, and they are. Uh, but there's only one industry in this province that can't exist in 30 years if we are going to maintain a safe climate, and that's the fossil fuel industry. And I think places like Dawson Creek in the northeast need to be thinking about what happens when the world uh, that is actively trying to use less of their project products don't need their gas anymore. And I think they're in a position to make some pretty uh, bold, visionary demands of the provincial government, which is asking them to, you know, shut down their industries uh, over the next several decades. It doesn't have to happen overnight, Um, but we need to see some leadership. And as a climate activist, I can't tell people in the Northeast, uh, you know, what their community should look like. In 30 years, but I can well, say that it's not going to be well, uh, a community based on fracking. And okay. so, so what is the answer then? Um, you know, well,
0: I think you said, well you're saying, well, hang in the on. North, you need to talk. figure that out. Hang on, Kathleen, go ahead. <laughs>
2: that, that, that's just that's crazy talk. I, the reality is is that in uh, the country of Canada, we exported more uh, oil out of this country in the last month than we have in. In forever, we see a demand for our exports of our fossil fuels increasing across the globe because the rest of the globe recognizes how advanced um, our, our extraction methods are and how clean our energy actually is. So we actually see demand across the globe increasing for our product, not decreasing. So the fact, and look, the reality is that the marketplace always creates a demand, the world wants it producers want to to offer it and they are willing and have been willing to work with government and other stakeholders to work towards lowering those emissions so the idea that in 30 years that's not a reality uh, what are we basing that on i mean i think based on the number of exports we see today i'm not sure that's a valid
0: argument peter what do you say to that
1: the International Energy Agency's World Energy Outlook report this year says that just the stated policies that co- countries have already committed to will start to lower natural gas demand in five years. And if, in, if we actually want to maintain a safe climate on this planet, that 1.5 degrees um, that we are already getting close to, uh, gas demand has to fall off a cliff after the next five years. And so hey, what's Peter. the plan? Hey, Peter, but let me,
0: let me ask you this real quickly, Peter, then we'll take a, a break and take some phone calls here. But, you know, just taking a look at the number of people who work in this business, like the thousands of people who work in uh, Kathleen's community there in, in Dawson Creek primarily. I mean, you take a look at. Gas extraction, like fracking that you want shut down is 12,000 jobs in BC. There's 5,000 people working on the coastal gas link pipeline. Uh, the LNG Canada project has got hundreds, hundreds jobs. And then you take a look at the revenue to government, hundreds of millions of dollars. Like if, if you shut all this down, what happens to all those people get thrown out of work? We're talking thousands of people, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue to government.
1: Uh, to be clear, the, uh, the gas sector doesn't provide that much employment, uh, that much revenue to the government uh, when you look at the entire province. But it's a lot of families that need some sort of uh, transition plan. And I think, you know, communities like Dawson Creek should be saying, here's what we need. OK, you're going to do this. This is how you support communities and workers through this transition. Um, their unions need to be involved in advocating for what they need. And I am fully willing to fight for that uh, okay. and get people in the South mobilized behind that. And I, I think that's the way forward here.
0: Kathleen, real quick, and then we'll take a break here. Your thoughts? Yeah.
1: So,
2: number one, Peter, I would love to invite you to come to the North and actually spend some time and watch our I'll operations. We've some time so up there. I think if we look. Uh, about 064, uh, is a thousand and sixty four dollars is the GDP per hour from an oil and gas worker, which is seventeen times what we would see from an average worker. I think what you 're also missing that conversation is. 12,000 oil and gas workers, yes, but about four other jobs in every community support uh, that one job in the industry. So that's your people at Tim Hortons, Canadian Tire, Valve Shops, et cetera. And so it is a very real conversation about how we move into a a greener economy. I don't think anybody disagrees with you that we want a healthier, cleaner, greener uh, environment. I think when you say... Other countries are, you know, making commitments. You just mentioned our own country can't keep their own commitments. So I think that's a very sort of broad stroke straight statement in expecting third world countries to stick to commitments that they've made.
0: All right. Welcome back as we continue our discussion with Peter McCartney from the Wilderness Committee, Kathleen Connolly, Dawson Creek Chamber of Commerce. We're talking about the oil, uh, the natural gas business primarily here in B.C. Lots of phone calls. Dave in Richmond. Hi, Dave. Oh, hi, there. Right, Go ahead. Yes.
1: No, I just wanted to remind uh, uh, some of our ministers that these oil and gas companies are often hubs of any uh, city up north, and everything revolves around them. Uh, and besides that, the building materials uh, that we all have to use down in the town here, like glass and steel and flooring, they, they're all... Uh, are. I would say the majority of them are produced from oil and gas. Uh, same with the clothing. You look at the shirt you're wearing or the socks you got on.
0: Um, you can't tell me that they're cotton. Peter McCartney. Peter McCartney. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean the the building materials argument. You can you can build out of lots of things. Um, we're just gonna have to figure that out. But he's right that oil and gas is like the primary industry for many communities in the Northeast. And I've, I've spent t- lots of time in, in Dawson Creek and in Fort St. John and Pouscoopie. Um And I don't want to see these towns disappear as much as anybody else. But the truth is that this industry isn't going to provide the prosperity that these communities want. And so we need to figure out what they look like after it's gone and, and support them in making that transition. And I would, I would be honored to work with uh, Kathleen and, and others in Dawson Creek to do that.
0: Kathleen Conley, what do you say to that?
1: Sure.
2: I mean, we always welcome conversation. But, you know, I think to say that uh, the economy of oil and gas is only prevalent in the Northeast would be an irresponsible statement. All of our product is exported either into the lower mainland, into your house, into your office, or to cooling your office or house, or cooking your steak in your upscale restaurants. It is not... Uh, an economy that is specific to the northeast it is an economy that uh, runs across this province which is why the government has recognized the need to create subsidies and to support it and to create to help to to build the industry it's not just in the northeast it is the entire province and in fact the entire country that benefits from not only the products that are extracted but from the revenues and the wealth that it generates
0: let's go to patrick on the open line in richmond hi patrick go ahead all right, good morning.
3: Um, just to further add a little bit to what the last gentleman was saying, our, our fertilizers, everything in our farming industry, is done through petroleum and natural gas. So I want to add on that. But to, to, the question I was asking to Peter here is, we are going to go and try and be green, and which is a very noble thing. And I agree with you, we should do our part. I've been up north. I've worked up north for years. I have seen how clean our energy industry is compared to other countries. But yeah, we have countries, for example, one of the largest polluting countries in the world with over a billion people, they don't
1: follow the Paris Climate Accord. They
3: okay, thank you, thank, you for cool. the,
0: thank you for the call. Just one minute left, Peter. So I'll give you 30 seconds, and then Kathleen, 30 seconds. Okay, go ahead, Peter.
1: So, you know, every country other than Syria, which was in the midst of a civil war, has signed on to the Paris Accord. These countries are moving, and the countries that are doing best are, you know, the Gambia and Costa Rica and Ethiopia And they're the countries that are actually at risk from climate change the most. And so for Canada not to be doing its part in reducing oil and gas emissions
0: uh, is just shameful to me. Kathleen, 30 seconds there.
2: I would have to say that Canada has been very aggressive at doing their part, particularly oil and gas, in the reduction of emissions, including methane. I think it's important to recognize how important fossil fuels are to our current lifestyle. And should we change our lifestyle? then we can look at reducing
0: oil and gas. All right, welcome back. And here we go now with the affordability crisis in Metro Vancouver real estate. How can you afford a home in this city, especially if you're a first-time buyer? Well, if you're lucky, you can make a withdrawal from the bank of mom and dad. Brand new report out here now from CIBC on how parents are helping out their kids to break into this unaffordable housing market. Have a listen to this now. This is Benjamin Tall, who's the deputy chief economist, CIBC Capital Markets, on how much money is being gifted from parents to their kids to buy homes.
4: 30% of first-time homebuyers are getting a gift. Two-thirds of those gifts are the primary source of the down payment. And then you have another 10% of what we call mover-uppers that get help. So it's not just first-time buyers, it's also mover-uppers. And in Vancouver, for example, the average size of this uh, gift to mover-uppers is approaching $300,000. That's a lot of money. That's a big gift.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a lot for sure. A lot of people who are breaking into the housing market, are uh, getting some help from their parents maybe not surprising in overall but i think that the scale of it it maybe is a little surprising let's check in with dylan Kruger now city councillor in the city of delta and this is one of his primary causes in in public life hey dylan thanks for coming on today mike thanks for having me back you you bet so we take a look at some of these numbers here dylan for your thoughts that you dig down a little deeper in metro Van, in vancouver here the average gift from mom and dad For a first-time buyer in Vancouver, $180,000. And then for people who are moving up, like if you're buying a second home, maybe you're moving up from a starting home, $340,000 from mom and dad. Wow, that's a lot. What do you think of that?
3: It's a lot of money. It's not surprising. And look, you know, I want to be clear about that. It's awesome if you're getting gifts from your parents. I, I don't be yeah. or judge anybody for doing that. Like, good for you. Do what you have to do to get into a house for you and your family in this market in Metro Vancouver, right? But it just goes to show the extent of the housing crisis that we're in with the lack of housing supply and, and the rising prices. There was another report that came out last week from Oxford, which ranked Vancouver officially as the least affordable city in north america for 2021 wow. we think of cities usually like you know we think la or new york when we think about expensive cities in north america vancouver has blown right past them
0: yeah and you know what for for any parent out there and i'm a parent i mean which parent would not want to help their kids i mean this is you know one of the main things in life that you want to help your children in their own lives and i think helping them to get into a home is, is something that i would like to do with my own children uh, let's listen to another clip here from Benjamin tall, uh, from CIBC, uh, where this money comes from. Is this is like personal savings, or does this come from the parents' home equity? Have a listen here.
4: We found that only about five to uh, 10% in Vancouver, the number is about 10% um, of parents use debt to finance the gift. So most of the gift is coming actually from their savings and not uh, vis-a-vis credit.
0: Okay, so it sounds he's saying that CIBC in this study found that a lot of parents have saved this money up and they're gifting it to their kids. It's not like they're going into debt and borrowing against their own home to finance their kids' home purchases. What do you think of that? Yeah,
3: so so we're seeing and and you know w- with the age of you know baby boomers more and more moving into the retirement age category and millennials moving up into the workforce now being the dominant generation in the workforce. We're going to start seeing more of this, this intergenerational wealth transfer. And again, it's, it's, it's awesome if you can get it. I don't think it's realistic, though, when you look at the vast majority of working people in this region who you know are working and scrimping and saving to, to try to get into the housing market and constantly seeing that goalpost being moved further and further away with higher prices. Once again, it's awesome if you can get that $180,000 for a first-time buyer or, or even upwards of $300,000 for those that are upsizing. But for regular people who are just trying to get by, they look at that and say, well, how the heck am I ever going to compete with that?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're in the fortunate position where you have parents who can help you, I I think that's awesome and that's great. And I agree with you on that, that anyone who is getting help from their from mom and dad is is fantastic. And I would say more power to you. Um, but not everyone has got this opportunity, right? Like not everyone has parents who have savings or parents who have home equity themselves, so where does that lead the people who can't who can't rely on their parents to help them
3: yeah it's it, it's increasing frustration and and now you're looking at the rental market right where the, the the notion of of lifetime renters has changed a lot over the last you know ten and fifteen years, especially you can be somebody you can be a dual income family making six figures in in a really good job market and still be so far away of getting into housing ownership so you're a lifetime renter now okay well then you look at the, the rental market in metro vancouver uh rental rates are still hovering between one and two percent a healthy rate is more like three or five percent so we're very low on rental so the price of rent goes up beyond what should be cmhc says 30 percent of your income should be spent on your your housing costs well for a lot of people it's 40 50 even 60 percent one more study i want to point you to mike that just came out this week from cmhc Housing starts in September plunged by 37% from the month before. So there's compounding problems here. As prices are rising, you've got less product on the market. Uh, Real estate listings have dropped to 30-year lows in terms of actual housing units for sale. Uh, And then in terms of building more more housing, primarily multifamily housing, uh, that number is down by 37%. So we are not building the housing to meet the demand in this region.
0: Okay, so that, that's a really interesting figure you just quoted there that on the housing starts going down. That's a big, that's a, wow, that's a big drop. Where is that? Is that in Metro? So Metro Vancouver? That, that, that's Metro
3: Vancouver. That's a CMHC statistic, and that was in wow. business in Vancouver this week.
0: Okay, okay, that's, that's very surprising. Some people are looking at this CIBC report. And in some ways, it's stating the obvious, I guess, but you know, parents are helping their kids. Yeah. This, this should not surprise anyone, but some people are looking at this and saying, this is a problem because this is exacerbating a wealth gap in our society and making it worse. I've seen some people commenting the last 48 hours or so that this is the argument now for an inheritance tax. Maybe the government should come along. The taxman take some of this money. Man, we could fill a whole show debating that. But let me play, play this here for you, Dylan, get your thoughts. Benjamin Tall again from CIBC. Is this making the wealth gap worse? Here's what he had to say.
4: There is no question that uh, this is leading to a, even a wider wealth inequality, wealth gap in Canada. For a few reasons, you get the gift, which means that you can enter the housing market and then enjoy the appreciation in prices over time. If you didn't get into the market, you are not part of it. Also, the gift means that your mortgage will be smaller, and therefore you are saving a lot over time on interest payments on that mortgage. So clearly, this is really widening the gap, something that we have to think about, but that's the reality.
0: Dylan, you have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think we got to be careful with that. I think, look, the, the the wealth transfer that we're seeing from parents, it's a symptom. It's not the, the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem uh, is the lack of available supply. And, yeah. you know, again, for those who are, you know, their they're, mom and dad are able to chip in a little bit to get them in. Like, good for them. They're just trying to survive. They're the fortunate ones in this market. The symptom is our cities are not building enough housing. We've locked the vast majority uh, of our properties into uh, large sprawling single detached home zoning when increasingly what people are looking for is an opportunity to live close to work uh, in smaller multifamily units we're not building the housing that's what's causing this desperation and to close off yet another opportunity for at least some people in this generation to get in the market i don't think that's the right way to go uh, we got to look at the bigger problem here and the problem is how we're zoning our cities
0: all right welcome back to the show as we continue talking about the metro vancouver real estate market real affordability crunch out there especially for young people trying to get into the market lots of young people though getting help from their parents this new cibc report hundreds of millions of dollars being transferred from parents to their kids to buy homes my guest is delta city councillor dylan kruger lots of phone calls chris in north van hi chris
5: um hi mike Uh, we have been lucky enough that we recently inherited some money from uh, our parents and so we were uh, immediately able to help our children get into their first house and I hope that you know down the road when we sell our house we'll be able to help our children help their children and so forth. The other issue that we have is that uh, councils uh, and we live in North Vancouver District, which has a reputation of being just awful to deal with on any kind of development. They take so long to even approve redevelopment of single-family homes. Yet, along, yet alone something a bit more creative like making multi-family um, and, and other creative uses of land spaces. The councils have got to get off their duff. Their planning departments have to get more vigorous about thinking about alternatives here. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it's a multi. Approach we need.
0: Thanks for the call. Dylan, I'm sure you would agree with that last part there.
5: I think your caller
3: articulated the issue very well, Mike. Uh, municipalities uh, have the burden here to improve uh, the planning process and to approve more housing. And if they can't do it, you know, a lot of people are talking about what New Zealand did this year, where New, yeah. New Zealand actually moved in. Uh, and said that every single lot in major cities, you're allowed to build three homes on what were formerly single-family lots. So in other jurisdictions, uh, higher levels of government are stepping up to make the changes
0: if municipalities uh, won't, won't do it. Let's go to Scott in Vancouver. Hi, Scott.
1: Hey, fellas. Um, you know,
6: I think our counselor here is being a little disingenuous. Uh, the reason being is if we just ask for supply and density, we don't address... All issues such as speculation, Airbnb, empty
5: homes, over-in immigration. There's a ton of things happening here, and to avoid all these subjects and just ask for density and supply is very,
0: very disingenuous. And it's artificial. Okay, well,
4: well, let's, 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 the, let's get the
0: let's get the let's get the councillor's response on that, Counselor.
3: Yeah, I appreciate the call. And, you know, the reason I push so hard on this is because I really think that we've tried everything else. My government has tried, it seems, everything on the demand suppression side. We've tried the foreign buyers tax. We've tried, you know, additional um, uh, requirements for mortgage stress tests. Uh, We've tried a lot of things to suppress demand uh, while failing to address what I see as the obvious issue with supply. We've frozen neighborhoods in time capsules. We are so far behind on supply, it's not even funny. If, If you think we have a free market in Metro Vancouver. uh, It's just not true.
0: Let's go to Graham on the line in Delta. Hi, Graham.
3: Hi, I just want to echo the previous caller also that I think immigration really needs to be discussed um, with our housing supply. It's 400,000 people coming into this country and most will be settling into the city centers. We just don't have the supply and it just increases demand and, and price. It needs to be part of the conversation. Dylan, thank you. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Look, we have 400,000 people a year coming into to Canada. This is part of the problem. Municipalities don't control immigration levels, but we do need to respond. We're going to have a million people moving to Metro Vancouver in the next 20 years, whether we want to or not. It's happening. If we don't build the supply to accept these new people, we're only going to exasperate the existing crisis. We're going to see more people crammed into less adequate housing.
0: Let's go to Rick on the line in Langley. Hi, Rick. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Thanks
1: very much. Sure. Well, my point was just around the tax rate. I mean, your guest had mentioned, you know, incomes of six figures per individual at, at times. And when you look at the tax rate and the savings rate that uh, the younger generation has in comparison to their parents and at the tax rate that they had, it makes it very, very difficult for them to even put away
6: $10,000 a year,
1: which is 10% of 100000 And that would take them at least 10 years to build up a hundred thousand dollar down payment, uh, which makes it even worse for them and makes them yeah. fall behind, right? So, <clears throat> and there's a bigger big conversation here. The average income in BC is about sixty five to seventy thousand dollars a year. If you look at that, the the home affordability is three hundred fifty thousand mortgage.
0: Yeah, now no, I know, I know. Bigger. I take your point. Like the math. The math is very troublesome and, and often Dylan, I mean, you're a young guy in, in a leadership role in politics, which I think is awesome, but I'm sure you've heard this argument from people that, well, okay, stop whining, suck it up, uh, stop buying your lattes every day, stop buying your, you know, your avocado toast. Come on, you millennials, put your nose to the grindstone and start saving some money instead of living above your means. You know, when you're making, you know, even you're making 80 grand a year, how can you afford anything in this market, even if you don't drink another latte the rest of your life?
3: You know, it's funny, Mike. I even had a counselor on my own council throw the latte comment at me a couple of years ago. But, you know, the reality is when you add up all the costs that people have these days between, you know, rising uh, car insurance, if you have a car, student loans, cost of rent. Uh, and you're, you're trying to, to scrimp and save on, on on the side of there. And uh, trust me, people are doing without their lattes and their avocado toast just to try to get by. <laughs> That's not the problem here. Uh, and and the, the figure is something more like uh, and this came out last year. Uh, 30 plus years if you wanted to properly save for a 20 percent down payment on a one point five million dollar house in Vancouver based on average income levels in the region.
0: Yeah, no, it's not Benny in Abbotsford. Hey, Benny.
5: It's nothing new for mom and dad to help. Back in 1957, my mom and dad bought a house on the west side near Oak Ridge. For 18000 they had to have help from mom and dad. In 1977, I bought a house for $50,000 on a certain acre at Cloverdale. For 50000 I needed 10% down, only 5000 and I had to have help from mom and dad. It's been always yeah. hard for people to get into the... Uh, housing first time you have to have help and it used to be you could get in on wages one single wage now even two wages so forget about housing in vancouver thank you benny. don't Th- even think about it
0: thank you benny uh 30 seconds counselor
3: mike really quick this is an important point it's always been hard but in the last 20 years it's been harder the price of housing has risen so much higher than rising income levels, and that's the disparity that we're talking about here. We need to get back to a realistic level so that people can have a chance to get into the market. The way to do that is for cities to step up and build the supply that we need here in Metro Vancouver.
0: Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the labor market in Canada right now. There's lots of jobs available, it seems now. It also seems like a worker's market out there with so many opportunities. Does that mean a lot of people are considering quitting their jobs, maybe leaving the workforce, or looking for some other new type of career? We have seen this in a lot of jurisdictions, and it's been called the big quit or the great resignation some people have called it with a lot of people in many jurisdictions quitting their jobs let's discuss now with my guest travis o'rourke he's the president of hayes specialist recruiting and he's an expert in the labor market here in canada travis thanks a lot for coming on today hi mike Thanks thanks. for having me. Thank you for being on here. I remember you guys did a an employment market survey about a year ago in Canada that indicated a lot of people were looking a lot of Canadians were looking to quit their jobs. What have we found out in the years since? Like what is the the status right now? Are a lot of people leaving their jobs right now? Yeah, Mike,
6: I gotta say I got some funny looks about a year ago when we put this data out that at the time about forty-nine percent of Canadians Uh, We're considering leaving their jobs within six months. And um, now you open a paper today, you can pretty much read about the great resignation um, anywhere you look. So it's it's absolutely coming to fruition. That was last year's data, Mike. We've got new data uh, about to be released next month. But a sneak peek, that number is actually up to 62% of Canadians are looking to leave their work. So there's no end in sight.
0: Gee whiz, that's a big number. Why is that happening right now? I
6: think it's, it's, a, it's similar drivers to last year in that employees are feeling a little bit undervalued, they're a little bit resentful as to how their employers treated them throughout the thick of the pandemic. Uh, we had a lot of uh, organizations go on wage freezes, some went on layoffs, um, people working from home were working longer hours than probably ever have before, those boundaries between family and work starting to disappear. And the general perception is the grass surely must be greener on the other side than what (laughs) I'm going through right now. That's one big one. But then the second would be uh, wages. And like anyone who's gone to the grocery store, I'm sure we all have, you notice you're paying more for everything. Inflation is real, and it's turned into wage inflation. And as employers fight for talent in nearly every functional area, at least of a corporate business, you can go next door and get another, you know, a few bucks an hour or a few thousand a year. And um, as you said in the opener, you know, employees are wise to that. So they're taking their careers and their finances into their own hands.
0: Right. When you take a look at the experience that a lot of workers have had during this pandemic, a lot of people have made sacrifices. Uh, do some workers maybe feel a little underappreciated by their bosses, by managers saying like, look, you know, we have struggled through this thing i've done my very best to help this company stay afloat and do everything i've been asked but i'm not i don't seem to be getting appreciated in return is there anything like that going on
3: i would
6: say yeah definitely and but with managers as well right like this is um, it's definitely more prevalent um, at the the lower end of organizations but it's certainly not contained to that so there's an appreciation aspect for sure but most companies, like look, if you give somebody in your organization a raise, what about the five people who also do that job in accounting that sit next to them? So are you gonna give everybody a raise? Yeah. So a lot of employers are making the decision that it's cheaper or it's more effective for me to let, you know, this person leave and I'll replace I'll replace them than get the entire department a raise. So there's there's calculated risks happening.
0: Speaking of Travis O'Rourke, he's the president of Hayes Specialist Recruiting, and he's an expert in the labor market here in Canada. And we're talking about the big quit, the great resignation. A lot of Canadians have quit their jobs or they're thinking about it. I mean, when you take a look at this labor market right now, there's so many jobs appear to be on offer. Uh, employers are offering benefits. They're offering signing bonuses, increased pay. I mean, is that another reason for people quitting? This They got a better opportunity somewhere else.
6: Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. I think the, there's so much pe- uh, movement left and right, not, not necessarily upwards into promotions, but just going for more money or a better environment to more flexibility. Or maybe it's, it's better geography. Maybe there's a vaccine policy that's more attractive to you. Maybe the work from home is being taken away by your current employer. There are so many factors hitting the labor market right now that we haven't seen before. And it's all happening at once. So the the opportunities, I mean, unemployment is now dipped in B.C. just below 6%, which is great to see. But the job postings, the recruitment activity is considerably stronger than a 5.9% unemployment would uh, would dictate just because of people going left and right.
0: Yeah, I hear this from our listeners all the time. In fact, I got an email from a listener this week saying uh, they were desperate. They're trying to hire people. They've bumped up their wage offers, and they still can't get anyone to come to come work for them. I wonder, as a guy who uh, has his eye on this kind of thing, especially when it comes to wages and salaries, let's say you're in a job that you like and you're not interested in switching to another job. I don't know, maybe this would be a good time to go to the boss and ask for a raise right now. What do you think?
6: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Absolutely. I I would uh, encourage everybody, know know your value, know your worth. Our website, Hayes.ca. We've got a salary guide uh, checker. You can go there and take a look at within your sector, within your functional area, your level of experience. This is kind of what the market is commanding. Or call a Hayes recruiter and more than happy to give you some advice. But um, anytime that you get into a candidate or an employee's market, um, that's the time. Now, you know, have a bit of finesse. Don't put an ultimatum on the table unless you're prepared to to walk, of course. But bring a business case and have a proper discussion with your employer. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, do you think this is a I don't know, it's such a weird time in 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 this labor market right now. Like if you're if people are thinking about trying something new, they're trying thinking of a career change, could that lead to a big payoff in your life? Like if you move into a job, you're gonna be happier at another job. I mean that makes a big difference in your life. I think that's
6: that's one of the reasons that Your whoever you were speaking to last week and talking about the crunch for labor and and the skill shortages because people are betting on themselves. They, you know, maybe they're tired of the nine to five. They've always had this idea. Cash is so cheap right now. You can get loans and business opportunities from banks and neighbors. Um, People are looking to put money back on the table and I've seen new businesses launched at like a rate I've never seen before. We've got permanent employees who want to get into contracting to give them an opportunity to do something on the side. Um, the gig economy is real, and I think a lot of people are betting on themselves, and it's great to see. All
0: right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about Canadians quitting their jobs. It's been called the big quit, the great resignation. Thousands of Canadians are thinking of a switching of their career paths. Lots of people quitting their jobs right now. My guest is Travis O'Rourke, president of Hayes a Specialist Recruiting. He's an expert in the Canadian labor market. Let's go to your phone calls. Michelle in Vancouver. Hi.
7: Hey, so I just quit my job about three months ago and went back to an industry that I really love. Great company, uh, good culture, uh, amazing time off. Like out of five weeks, I only work two. And uh, I'm surrounded by millennials in the same position that are constantly jockeying uh and looking for other opportunities not to leave the company but to force the company to uh provide more incentive for them to stay and i'm amazed by the lack of loyalty uh of of these younger and you know i'm 50 so i'm not really that old but i am older for sure it's interesting to watch the whole thing i'm so happy to be there that i'm not participating but i'm watching it
0: okay that's very interesting uh, but you just quit your own job though too right so I mean, you were, I did, yeah. So weren't you looking for something better too? Uh,
7: yeah, I was looking looking for a lifestyle change for sure. Like all this okay. time off is really amazing, and uh, you know, it sort of was a sideways move financially, but the opportunities of having the extra time off uh, were very interesting because I saw the a family that we're raising,
0: right? So. Okay, Michelle, th- Michelle, thank you for sharing that, Travis. What do you think of that?
6: I just I'm not surprised, but. The the story of I'm going for more flexibility is very common. I think everybody is, the pandemic has forced us to reevaluate what's important. And a lateral move financially for more flexibility, I mean, that's a no-brainer for most people. But the the millennials um, and the the Gen Zs, they are looking to make moves, I guess, at a pace that is not matched at the boomer level. Uh, LinkedIn mm. had some great data earlier in the week that uh, Gen Z had gone up an 80 percent increase in those looking to make a move. Well, boomers had only moved up by five percent. I think There's a movement happening of the power is with the employee and those mm. who are able to take a risk, maybe because they've got more time to save for retirement, are doing so.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if that, I mean, Michelle described that as disloyalty uh, in the, some of the younger coworkers she's seeing and they're, they're considering their options. I wonder if that's disloyalty or just sort of looking out for yourself and your best options for your own life.
6: Yeah, I, I, that's, that's a great point. Like, would you rather be loyal to your family or loyal to your employer? Uh, I know the answer for me, and I think huh. people are just betting on themselves and they're putting their own lives first.
0: All right. Keep phoning me on the 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898, toll-free in your cell. Kim in New West. Hi, Kim.
2: Hi. I would like to ask your guest, how many out of, her stat, out of the stats were union members? Or is there a separate um, study that he did for union members? Because BC is...
0: union. Okay, that's a very interesting point. Uh, Travis, like if you're in a union job, are you less likely to quit?
2: Yeah,
6: union for sure, but I I would say anything that that holds you long term, so um, organizations that have strong pension plans, we're seeing a lot more stability. Um, Those signing bonuses that people hear about, um, signing bonuses typically have like a two or a three year clause tied to it where you'll need to pay it back if you do leave the organization. So the majority mm. of, your, of the companies that are going through the high turnover don't have any of these triggers in place, but um, those that do are, are faring a little bit better.
0: Okay, star 9898 is the number to call in your cell. Al in Coquitlam, hi. Hi,
8: good morning, Mike. Yeah, my uh, company, we're in Coquitlam, uh, we're a small printing business, so we were looking for somebody. We put uh, ads out. Some of them went on Indeed. And a good majority of the emails we received were from people overseas looking to move. At first, I was looking at the emails and I was trying to understand what these what these people were saying. Um, I, I rarely received any uh, emails or resumes from people in Metro Vancouver, and it really surprised me. Because I asked a couple other people in my industry, and they they just mirrored my sentiments. They said, "Yeah, we're getting Europe, Russia, South America, tons of South America. Really interesting."
0: Hmm, so, like, people looking to immigrate to Canada, looking for a job.
8: Exactly. Yeah. They're like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to uproot my whole family. And, you know, it, it was, so it was a bit it, of an eye-opener, obviously.
0: Does it surprise you that you haven't got more responses from local people to, for your job that you're you're trying to fill?
8: Oh, it completely surprised me, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I have, um, you know, sons that are um, 18 and 22, and... Um, I, I know that there's lots of other young people out there that are obviously looking for work, and I'd heard of other families whose kids, you know, had gone on CERB. And I, you know, I was like, "Well, I'm pretty sure there's some good jobs out there." And that's for sure. I agree yeah. with that scenario. So yeah, it, it did surprise me, and I know the how, conversations you've had are like that. Yep.
0: How much? Are, how much does the job pay?
8: Uh, yeah. So we started above average. We started about sixteen, and it'll increase over time, right? So. We're just a training wage. But then, yeah, we want people to make a decent wage. So by the end of it, they'll end up making $18.
0: Okay, Travis, what do you think of that? I guess, first off, as a Canadian, I'm
6: I'm proud. Like, when when we think of what an attractive country this is for people to emigrate to, and as your caller said, pick up their families and and move, that's a great thing. Like, Canada's handling COVID better than most. Our economy is doing great unemployment is low. I'm proud that we want to be a landing spot and firmly believe that it doesn't matter, I guess, where you're immigrating from or where you went to school. We should put the best person into the job. And it's great that a lot of new options are are coming into the country. Now, when, when you look at why your job specifically maybe isn't getting the applications, I'd probably take a look at the posting. There's a huge difference between job descriptions and job postings. When you're in a market like this, Your job posting needs to sell the opportunity. What are your culture? What are your values? What's the flexibility? What makes you special? Why should I work for you? The days of I'm offering a good wage, that's not going to cut it anymore. So I would encourage any employer to go to the next level and figure out what makes you special.
0: Hey, Travis, we just have one minute left. Do you think a lot of people, when the CERB was around and then the Canada Recovery Benefit, the CRB, these programs have both now been shut down, do you think there was people leaving the job market just because they wanted to stay home and collect uh, government assistance? we got 30 seconds here.
6: Absolutely, that was happening. Yeah. And uh, with schools going back, we're seeing it die down a little bit. If you could be paid to stay at home with your kids all summer or you could go make a minimum wage job, like it was an easy decision for a lot of people. But with school going back, the third coming to an end, I think uh, 2022 is going to look Good. a lot different.
0: Travis, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it.
6: My pleasure. Take care.